Have you ever written someone not expecting to hear back? Maybe they were a sports figure you admired or a politician you supported. And you knew when you communicated with them, they were not going to communicate back to you. Because you were a fan, but not a friend. Because when you write a friend, you expect to hear something back. Now, I think a lot of people see their relationship to God more as fan than friend. They admire God and they tell God they admire Him, but sadly they don't really expect to hear back. But then comes Jesus, who is the perfect representation of God. And He says that He considers His followers to be His friends. And if we are the friends of God, we should expect to hear from God. So we're in this series titled Hearing God. And I've been saying that you and I were created and intended to receive messages from God. The God whose voice we heard when we needed salvation is not going to abandon us now that we need direction. I read an interesting story recently about the monarch butterflies that are so popular because of their brilliant beauty. They live much of the year in the United States and Canada, but every year they make this amazing migration to this mountain outside of a village in Mexico called Anguangeo. And they congregate on top of this mountain with amazing punctuality around the 1st of November every year. And researchers have wondered, how do they do that? I mean, they are so dense you can hear the sound of them when they take off. They make trees bend over by their density. And so some researchers took some butterflies and they painted the tips of their antennas, some with black paint, some with clear, so that they could no longer smell. What they noticed is that those with the black paint did not arrive, but those with clear paint still did because their antennas received from the sun above the signals of where they were to go. Somehow the sun above was like a well-calibrated GPS system, and they were able to find the direction they needed. And I would contend that's why we need to hear from God, that we need the sun above to give us guidance and help us go to the places where God needs us to go. And so we must grow in our capacity to hear from God. But here's the problem. It means tuning in to a speaker that we can't see. And we all prefer to hear from those that we can actually see as well. Back in the uh, first part of the last century, before TV dominated the airwaves, there was radio. And uh, there was a popular program for the schools across America called Music Appreciation Hour. The children would gather around a radio at a designated time, and for 30 minutes, beautiful music would play. And then a well-known conductor and musician named Walter Damrosch would come on the air and he would explain to the children what they had just heard. 
And he would begin every broadcast with these words. Good morning, my dear children. And so there would be occasions when children would come into an auditorium for an assembly. And there would be an old man no one recognized up on the stage. But then he would stand and he would say, good morning, my dear children. And they would jump and they would cheer and applaud because though they had never seen him, they knew his voice. And it is critical that we become familiar with God's voice, though we do not see him. Because, as you know, there is more than one voice to listen to. For example, there is the voice of the enemy. The inhabitants of heaven are not the only spiritual beings with tongues. And from the beginning, the whole battle of good and evil has turned on this question, which voice are you going to listen to? And Adam and Eve heard and listened to another voice. And we know what that created. You see, Satan has one obsession to keep you from hearing God. So he's a liar and a deceiver, and he is also a snatcher when possible of those opportunities. So Jesus says the word is like a seed that can be thrown on the ground. And in Luke 8 and in verse 12, he says the seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message. Only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Satan's aim is to keep you from hearing God. But he knows you will not live in a hearing void. So he will be there to provide another voice. It's always his aim to counterfeit whatever is real. And so as we mature, one of the things we must do, like Jesus, is develop the capacity to recognize satanic thought bombs and detonate them before they reach their destination and do damage. And then there is the voice of the self. And this is why scripture is full of warnings against the danger of self-deception. Not every bad decision I've made is because I listened to the voice of the enemy. Sometimes I was my own worst enemy. So the Bible warns, for example, in Proverbs 14, verse 12, that some people think they're doing right, but in the end, it leads to death. Because we have this incredible capacity to deceive ourselves. In fact, I would say that nobody can lie to me better than I can lie to myself. When Jimmy Carter was running for office in the White House, on his platform, he made the promise, I will never lie to you. So a reporter went to Plains, Georgia to interview his mother, Lillian. And he asked Miss Lillian whether or not it was true that his son never lied. And she replied, you can take what he says at his word. 
And the reporter said, you're telling me your son has never lied? And Miss Lillian said, well, I'm sure he's told a white lie or two. And the reporter said, oh, so he has lied. And what would you call a white lie? And Miss Lillian said, well, a white lie is like a minute ago when you knocked on the door and I came to the door and I said I was glad to see you. (laughs) You see, we have this amazing capacity to lie to ourselves. That's why we have to be careful. The conscience can be our guide, but the human conscience is not the voice of God. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, the conscience can be weak. Titus 1, verse 15, the conscience can be corrupted. Every one of us have done this. Where we have wanted something so bad, we convinced ourselves that God wanted it too. In fact, I've learned that if I really want to discover God's will, I have to identify and discard my own will, and that's hard. So we can see we all have the capacity to listen to more than one voice. Do you remember Peter in Matthew 16? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So Jesus said, Peter, you just articulated revelation from God. You just heard God. And then Jesus began to talk about going to the cross. And then Peter speaks and says, not so, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So just moments after he articulated the voice of the Lord, he articulates the voice of the enemy. And so when you get promptings, And powerful thoughts come to your mind. How do you know whether or not that was God? How can you be sure you're hearing the voice of the Lord? I want to share with you some ways to know today. But before I do, I want to remind you of the very first lesson. We built this table. And everything we're building on top of that table. And I told you then, the clearest way to hear God is to know the Bible. That God is never going to write one thing and then say something else. His spoken word will always agree with his written word. Now we understand this principle. We're all here today because of the blessings of the mothers that God put in our lives. Because we learned wisdom through them. We learned there were things they would say. And we learned wisdom from the things that we knew they would never say. For example, you never heard your mother say, Now, how on earth can you see that TV sitting so far away from it? You never heard your mother say, Yeah, I used to skip school a lot too. Or just leave all the lights on, honey. It makes the house more cheery. You never heard her say, Let me smell that shirt. Yeah, it's good for another week. You never heard her say, well, if Timmy's mom says it's okay, then it's okay with me. Or, hey, I'm not running a prison around here. That curfew is just kind of a general time to shoot for. See, we learned wisdom because we knew her voice. 
The things that she would say, the things we knew she would never say. You never heard your mother say, hey, I don't have a tissue with me. Just use your sleeve. And you certainly never heard your mother say, well, let's just go do whatever your dad thinks. He's brilliant. And yet, how many times have I talked to a Christian who believes they have heard God say something completely inconsistent with what God wrote? The man who decides he's going to leave his family because God wants me to be happy. Despite God's clearly spoken and written word that breaking covenants is something he hates. The way we will baptize the selfish use of our money when Jesus has clearly said only that which is invested in the kingdom lasts forever. The way today it's popular in the political world and every other arena to check the climate and see where the votes are before we can decide what God has already called sin. You see, the more you know the written word, the more you will recognize the voice of the Lord. And by the way, there are phase that will say the Bible is a good word, but we've got another book. We have another book to read with the Bible. In fact, our other book was given to us by an angel, and I have no doubt an angel gave the book. I just don't think the angel was sent by God. Because God is always going to speak consistent with what the Holy Spirit inspired. The devil wants to steal Scripture, not reveal Scripture. So you're taking a walk, you're talking to a workmate, you're in the car, and suddenly a scripture comes into your mind. Don't blow that off as a coincidence. It's there for a reason. The Holy Spirit is always wanting to apply what He inspired. So I know I am hearing from God. Anytime I am prompted to remember scripture, to share scripture, to live out scripture. But I have learned there are some other ways to recognize the voice of the Lord. For example, I've learned the voice of the Lord will cheer my spirit. That if I hear a discouraging word, it did not come from God. Because the Lord will speak to encourage, not discourage. So Paul, for example, is in Corinth. And he is discouraged by great religious opposition to his ministry. And the Bible says in Acts 18, starting in verse 9, that one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And told him... Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. I don't get the impression that Paul got this word from God every day. He got it that day and it filled his courage tank so that he stayed for 18 months preaching Jesus. And so the word of the Lord will never make you worry more. 
The word of the Lord will not beat you down or make you weary. The word of the Lord will increase your peace. It will expand your faith. It will fill your courage tank. Because when God speaks, it will always be to communicate his affection for you. So, just a few weeks ago, a couple of days before Easter, I finished my Easter sermon. And my friend Max Licato and I have had this tradition for five or six years that right before Easter, we email each other's sermons just to encourage each other. So Max reads my sermon and I read his. And so I'm reading Max's sermon and Max writes sermons like he writes books. He actually has at the back of his sermon what he calls his edits and his cuts. The things that he wrote, he decided not to put in the sermon. I'm reading what he cut out of his sermon and it's better than anything I wrote in my sermon. And I was discouraged. And then suddenly, and I don't even know how to articulate this to those of you that don't think God speaks. But I heard in my spirit this, I love you just for who you are. And I knew that was the word of the Lord reminding me I'm not called to be anybody but me. The word of the Lord will always cheer the spirit. And so this week, many of us who are sports fans have been amazed at the exploits of Josh Hamilton on the baseball field. And a few days ago, he hit four home runs in one game. So the next day, he's being interviewed on national television. And in the course of the interview, he is asked what kind of treatment he gets at opposing ball fields from fans that know of his well-publicized relapse in his struggle with his addiction issues. And on national television, Josh Hamilton Talks about hearing the Lord. Watch this clip. Uh, well, they don't even get my head anymore. Uh, <laughs> but they wear me out. Uh, you know, bring up, um, you know, I shared real quick with you. I was in Minnesota and I'm in the outfield and uh, moved from center field to left field. And uh, I'm just getting absolutely worn out. And I've gotten worn out over the years and just kind of dismissed it. But, you know, the Holy Spirit just hits me aside. He says, you know what, you're going through right now a smidgen, a minute tenth of the percentage of what Christ went through for you. These are the scoffers. These are people out here that want to take your weaknesses and throw it in your face uh, and tell you you can't do it or you're not worth it or you're not good enough. And he said, this is what Christ died for you for. He said, and he he didn't have any weaknesses. So uh, at that moment, I said, you know what? I said, all these people that are screaming at me, I said, every once in a while if the camera's on me and you see me and I'm looking up, I'm praying for those people that are yelling and screaming at me, uh, asking God to forgive them. And uh, they don't really know what they're doing, or they do know what they're doing. They don't care what they're doing, but it's not affecting me, but I'm showing compassion for them. Pretty good preaching, isn't it? And there he is on a ball field being slandered and mocked. And he says the Holy Spirit inside reminded him what Christ went through and prompted him to pray for his enemies. Because God's spirit will always calm and cheer your spirit. And the voice of the Lord will change my character. That God has never been unclear about his intentions for us, has he? 
He has made his purpose for us clear from the start. He wants us to reflect Christ. In fact, Paul says, we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Philippians 2.5 says, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. So when you hear from God, it's not just to transmit information. It is to inspire and to produce transformation. I want you to hear God. Not so you'll have some goosebump experience. But so that it will create space for God to do the work of transforming you into radical image bearers of Jesus. The Spirit of Christ is always going to move you in the direction of the character of Christ. Because there's more than one voice out there. And every time someone cuts you off in traffic, that voice shows up. Every time your boss is unreasonable, every time your mate is in a bad mood, every time your children are impossible, there's another voice out there. The Bible says there's more than one kind of wisdom to listen to. But James says, chapter 3, verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. The voice of the Lord will always push you towards mercy, towards peace, towards kindness, towards gentleness. Always in the direction of reflecting the character of Jesus. Now, real important point here. We have character lapses. Josh Hamilton's not the only person that's had a relapse or two, has he? And in those moments where we have a character lapse, a voice appears. And it is critical that you learn to recognize the difference between the convicting voice of the Lord and the condemning voice of the enemy. The Bible says the enemy is an accuser. And when you mess up, he will speak to condemn and to attack and assault your worth. God will never do that. He will convict. But he'll convict to move you in change in the direction of Jesus. Conviction will produce change. Condemnation just makes you feel lousy. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1 and 2, that because we're in Christ, there is no condemnation for those that belong to him. And because we belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. The spirit of truth is going to speak life into you, not death. God is not going to speak to beat you down, make you feel worthless. He may correct your behavior. He will never attack your worth. And so, when I talk to Christians, I'm saddened by how many, when I ask them, what do you think God thinks of you, say, he's disappointed in me. He's just so disappointed in me. Oh, really? Who told you that? 
I don't think God told you that. I think another voice did. You can't let God down because you're not holding him up. And any message that challenges God's affection for you is not from heaven. He loves you just like you are. And he loves you so much he won't let you stay there. And so a final way I've learned to recognize the voice of the Lord is when he challenges my comfort zone. Let me tell you something about the voice of the self. It will always lean in the direction of safety and security. Okay? The flesh will always have this gravitational pull to do and say what it must to protect self. And it's easy to just assume the voice of the Lord would do the same thing. And yet in the Bible, when you hear people, when you read about people that heard from God, they're consistently being called out of their comfort zone to take a risky, a bold, even a dangerous step for the kingdom. Think about Paul in Acts 21. He's concluding a missionary journey. He's in Caesarea staying with Philip and his four daughters who can prophesy. And it says, starting in verse 10, that several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Now, when we heard this, Luke says, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. See, here's the thing. You can know it's the voice of the Lord. You can hear clearly the voice of the Lord. But you still have to interpret the voice of the Lord. Just like when you read the Bible. And they interpreted this word from the Lord to mean, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. That wouldn't be safe. Stay here and protect yourself. But the next verse, Paul says, Why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, Why do you assume that God warns me of danger in my future? That means I shouldn't step into that future. Paul says, I knew what I was doing when I signed up to surrender my life to a man that went to a cross. I knew there was going to be risk here. Oswald Chambers, whose classic book, My Utmost for His Highest, has blessed millions of Christians, wrote this. Have you ever heard the master say something very difficult to you? If you haven't. I question whether you have heard him say anything at all. And so, it is the voice of the Lord prompting you to witness to your coworker, 
The enemy will never do that. It is the voice of the Lord challenging you to trust God with your tithe. It is the voice of the Lord asking you to serve those that live in a part of a town you don't want to live in. Let me ask you something. If the great ambition of your life is just to have a pretty lawn and to pay your bills and to see how long you can put off a funeral, why do you need to hear from God? If you are not on a quest, why do you need a guide? The voice of the Lord will challenge you to step into the kingdom of God. Like Chad and Katie Allen found out. They met at Harding. He didn't grow up in a Christian family, but he gave his life to Christ. In fact, he spent one summer as an intern in Mbali, Uganda. And then they got married, and he took his accounting degree and moved to the Metroplex and had a very successful career. And then they started praying this prayer some months ago. Lord, help us love like you loved. And they would pray that every day. And then a few months later, they get a phone call from Philip Shero. Chad, we're building this Christian university in Uganda. I need somebody that understands finances to teach in the school. I need someone to be the treasurer for the school. I need you to quit your job and move to Uganda. And I'm sure friends and even some extended family think that's crazy. But that's what they're going to do next January. Because they believe they've heard the voice of the Lord. And I ask you, do you really want to hear God's plans? Or do you just want God to endorse your plans? So be on guard against selective listening. Be on guard against only wanting to hear God when God says what you've already decided you want. Because if you ignore the promptings of the Lord consistently when He moves you out of your comfort zone, you will become insensitive and even incapable of hearing future promptings. That's the warning of the Hebrew writer, chapter 3. This is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Because when God speaks, neutrality is not an option. There's only one choice When you hear the word of the Lord, that's obedience. It's like I said last time. You will hear clearly when you have clearly decided to obey no matter what God says. Or to put it another way, you'll know his voice when you will what he wills. We're supposed to pray Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When 
your passion for God's kingdom is great, then so will be your capacity to hear God's voice. Jesus put it this way in John 7. Anyone who wants to do his will can test this teaching and know whether it's from God. And when you grow in your capacity to hear God, a whole new kind of life opens up. A life of adventure, a life of daily sensing the leading of God. The life that you were always meant for. One more story. To my knowledge, it's the only time Martin Luther King talked about his personal relationship with God. When he moved to Montgomery, Alabama as a young pastor, he will admit his faith was more a formality. He didn't have a real relationship with God. But then December 1st, 1955, a courageous young woman named Rosa Parks refuses to give her seat on a bus to a white man. And the Montgomery bus boycott ensues. And they recruited this young new pastor named Martin Luther King to be the leader and spokesman. And he agreed because he thought it would only last a couple of days. But it lasted for months. And drew national attention. And in a short time, he began to get regular death threats. So it's January the 27th, 1956. He's been out all night at a planning meeting. He comes home. His wife and his little girl are asleep. And the phone rings. And he picks up the phone and there's a snarling voice on the other end that says, If you don't leave town in a couple of days, you and your family will be killed. And he broke. He took some coffee, sat down at the kitchen table. And in a sermon he later preached, he said this. I sat at that table thinking about that little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from me any minute. I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted, loyal wife who was over there asleep. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. I was weak. And I discovered that religion had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I'll never forget it. I prayed a prayer. I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone No, never alone. Three days later, Martin Luther King's house was bombed. His family almost died. An angry mob appeared the next morning on his lawn. He stood on that porch and he said, We will love 
our enemies. And for those next 11 years of the civil rights movement until his assassination, he preached, we will not meet hate with hate. And when asked why he could do that, he would say, January 27th, 1956, I heard the word of the Lord. It is a game changer. And I want that for you. So would you stand with me, please? And as we sing this next song, I invite especially those that would like to be baptized into Jesus, that would like to step into the kingdom of God to come and make that desire known. And as we sing, I say to all of you, remember, his affection for you is great. And the promise is real and true. He will never abandon you. He will never turn his back on you. He will never leave you alone. Please come while we worship this God.